Well, I also got to put on the put on the radio voice. The radio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a high pitched voice, higher pitched voice. So I don't think I like. I know I don't have a radio voice, so like I don't even think about it. I'm just like ah, I'll fucking talk, however. <laughs> So what I was saying earlier, we were talking about headphone fluff. Well, we were talking about headphone fluff, but it was part of a larger discussion because we were talking about how there are all these like little quality of life improvements that you stumble upon. Like the headphones is a good example of that. But like another one would be like, like buying a new like pan for your stove. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we often shy away from these things because you look at it and you're like, oh, I want to get new headphone fluffers or whatever. It's like, oh, it's $20? No, that's so expensive. But then that same night, you go and you spend $20 on Indian food. So it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like why we, we get so afraid, I think, of like investing in quality of life because I feel like we don't, like you don't make the connection between the value of the money you spend on the thing and then the value of the life improvement. Mm. Whereas with something more immediately gratifying, like... Like Indian food? Exactly. You're like more... You make the the connection better between the money you're spending and the gratification, as opposed to buying a new pair of earphone fluffers or buying a new stove or buying a new pot for the stove where you're not even thinking about it, but it's improving your life in these subtle ways consistently every day. And when you take a step back and think about it, that's like way more valuable than any single one meal, even though those two things cost the same. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and by the way, just to be clear, when we say headphone fluffers, we mean the pads, the <laughs> earphone pads of over-ear headphones that rest on your ears. Yeah. Should put that in the, in, in the show notes? In the show put notes. that one in the show notes? That's right. A picture? Yes. For those of you using Sony MDR, blah, 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 whatever the number is. 7506. 7506. There's a great deal on, um, there are a few different ones. I have ones with memory foam. Oh. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. They're better uh, soundproofing than the ones you get. Out with of the box. The Sony's. Yeah. Mm. And I use them all the time for location sound mm. work. It's great. Huge, huge improvement. Totally worth the like $15 or whatever. Damn. Well, watch it not be fifteen dollars, but you know. <laughs> I think uh, I think as soon as we're done, I'll probably go order them. Yeah, that sounds Sweet. super worth it. Excellent. Well, um, anyway, yeah. So yeah, how do you how do you choose what art or, or media to consume, and what sorts of things do you actually choose deliberately versus not? So, I think to sort of um, elaborate on that, then is maybe specifically with something like music, for example, Mm -hmm. you might have certain music that you choose really, really specifically what you want to listen to in a certain moment. Um, Say, for example, you working on a, uh, you know, a new record or something like that. And maybe you do or don't want to be influenced by certain kinds of music. So you're really picky about what you're listening to while you're working on that. Mm. Or um, on the other hand, say you're working out or something like that and you have music playing in the background. Maybe mm-hmm. there you're, you're significantly less picky about what you listen to. Um, in my case, maybe if I'm, if I'm coding, I am picky in a weird way about what I listen to. Not that it has to be like, you know, Im- impressive or technical or super duper quality music, but yeah. more music that falls into a different category, which is 
more music that I can loop and be in a weird sense hypnotized by so that yeah. it can just sort of fade into a, the background and I can, I can just work. So yeah, those in a sense are, are deliberate choices and, and others aren't, but that's just, that's just one example. I think another mm. good example that I was thinking of with this was movies and whether mm. at which point do you stop maybe if you consider movies uh, a medium of art that you specifically enjoy or think a lot about <clears throat> and where do you draw the line between okay i maybe i'm sitting down with my significant other and we're going to watch a film what role does this serve here do i want to be deliberate about what we watch do i want to consume maybe what i would think of as like better or good art or mm. is this just purely entertainment and i get yeah. and then i guess you know, I don't want to make it too too um, long winded of a of an intro here, but mm. but if it is just entertainment, then what what about that makes it not good art? If it's entertaining, um, mm. like what inherently well, so about many, the medium? So many. I know. Levels. So we can take it in any direction there, but um, yeah, I think that's sort of where I was coming from. Yeah. Well, I think maybe let's start with music. Yeah, let's start with music because I think so. You brought up an interesting point at the top, and I and I. And I kind of also want to ask you questions about this. Go for it. But you brought up this interesting point, which is like when you consume music. And for example, you're talking about when you're coding. Mm -hmm. You don't pick music because of its inherent like musical qualities. You pick it by based on its ability to serve a function in that activity, which is that it is loopable. Yes. So I guess my question is like first question is like is that is loopableness – is that musical? Is that a, is that a musical quality that you could point to and say because of this 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 and this musical reason or musical aspect of this song or this album it's loopable? Or is it just like your interest level in the music is like at a certain point, like below a certain threshold where it is loopable and it's not like, you know, your favorite album where you're like mm. you can't just like loop it passively. So I guess like, you know what I mean? That's a great question. That's a great question. I I I don't think I have a, you know, explicit qualification that I that I would say for that sort of thing because okay I'm I'm thinking about maybe what I've been listening to recently and I think it yeah. varies so for example I do agree to to address one thing that you said there that there might be music that maybe is too uh, not necessarily too captivating but not so easy for me to detach myself from enough to where I can focus on my coding or something yeah so I'll just give you an example there. So I recently put on and tried looping for a little while. I tried it for maybe like a day or two. Uh, the new Haim record. And let's be clear. Yes. A day or two. That's a long time. <laughs> like that's a well, long time. <laughs> well, so hold on. Well, to be, to be then clear in general is when I do find something to loop, I might loop it for three weeks. Jeez. That's so long. <laughs> Um, sometimes I vary it. Like sometimes I switch back and forth between, um, you know, a record or two. Sometimes it's just yeah. one song. Um, yeah. but yeah, before I move on to the next thing, it, it can be weeks. Sometimes it's, wow. it's just, you know, a few days. Sometimes it's a week or two. Sometimes it's three weeks or so. Depends. It's like when you talk to me, when you, when you told me about that Dua Lipa record, you're like, I've been looping it in my brain. I'm like, Oh, so he's been listening to it for like the past few days. But no, no, no. <laughs> You've been listening to it for like three weeks. That's correct. So, All day. <laughs> so that, that was actually going to be my other, my other, um, example there. So, so I tried listening to the Haim record on loop. Yeah. And I I couldn't really get it to stick as loopable. But 
I think maybe what I would say made it not stick is that it made me it made me like feel too much or think too much to where I got yeah. too too distracted from my work and like started thinking more about the music. Yeah. Which is obviously not a bad thing about the music. That's that's probably that's a great. Good thing. Yeah. But I I did stop leaving it for that reason. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm working and I kind of get like taken out of my work and I start listening to the music or listening to the to the lyrics on that record. But for some reason, something like that new Dua Lipa record, uh, what's it called? Future Nostalgia. Yeah. Is super great instrumentally, in my opinion, and also has pretty, pretty, uh, you know, some of the songs have pretty fun lyrics in that sense. But yeah. that record has been ultra, ultra loopable for me. And that's one of the records that I've looped easy over a month. Wow. And. So I don't I don't know that I have a great distinction between that, but like I don't know if I could tell you, oh, right away I can tell that this record is not going to be something that I'm looping, but mm. I can say that when it makes me like like I said that it, when it takes me too much out of it, too much out of the work, and and I'm paying too much time and, and attention to the song or the or the record, that that's sort of when it becomes that way. Mm. But uh, I think also there are certain instrumental songs that I've listened to and instrumental songs. I'm trying to pinpoint if it's purely the lyrics or also the instrumentation that can sort of make me categorize something that way. Yeah. Because something I've listened to maybe in the past two weeks is there is a song by, I actually don't know if we've ever spoken about this artist, but I think it might be pronounced mode rat M O T D E R A T. It's one word. Yeah. I want to say they're a duo of the electronic sort, but I don't really know much about them to be honest, but there's this one song that they have on there. I believe it's the second record called Milk. And Milk, we can put it in the show notes, is I think like something like a nine minute song with oh wow. No lyrics and just kind of like the same pulsing beat the whole time that yeah. builds up and comes down and, and I think just goes from one to five or something like that. And that's the only thing that happens. And just looping looping. When you say one to five, again. you mean like chord chord changes. Quarterly. Gorgeous agency, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there, so there is that, and that is incredibly loopable. Actually, do you remember? Mm. Do you remember a few years back my version of the Arcade Fire song, Creature Comforts? <laughs> yes. No joke. I, I, because I was setting up this new computer and transferring all my old stuff, I came across that, and I ended up looping that for like four hours. Just I that think we should, bit. <laughs> I think we should put that in the show notes. Your collection of remixes. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't want to spoil the audience with all those too much. I think we can we can pull them out as we go. One, but, <laughs> one at a time per episode. One at a time. Okay. I, but I would be fine with I, We can upload them, you know, like a, a Dropbox link or something like that. Hopefully we don't get okay. in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I so I don't know if, like, for example, when you work out, do you have any similar relationship with music in that way? It's interesting. I stopped listening to music. Oh, well, okay. No, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> that sounds really like. Are you working dramatic. out or just in general? <laughs> Yeah, dude, I've totally stopped. No, um, <laughs> so it's okay. So just let me backtrack like two steps. First, first thing when I would work out at the gym when I'm pumping iron, you know, Jesus, you know, <laughs> <laughs> when I was when I would work out at the gym, I would pick music. I would choose music deliberately. So I would listen to music that had, and this is like super general and like. When I say these things, 
like you could find a song and be like, Tyler, this 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 album has all the characteristics you just listened to, and mm-hmm. I could hear it and be like, yeah, it's not right. Yep. I mean, I feel the same way about the looping. Yeah, it's so like specific to your own like idiosyncratic preferences. Mm-hmm. But so there, it, it, when I'm working out, when I'm working out at the gym, when I was working out at the gym. <laughs> I would need a song. I would need a song that has, or a rec, or a record, or an artist, or a playlist, or whatever, that has a catchy hook mm-hmm. in the chorus, a hundred percent, or like not the chorus, but like a catchy hook at some point in the song. The song needs to be relatively consistent rhythmically, and the song needs to be, in some way, like not aggressive. Like, not like, you know, metal or like death grips, but like aggressive in its energy. And when I, or maybe what's a better way to put it, like, it needs to be energetic, I think is, is the most good way to put it. Like, I would listen to anything from, and there's a few, like, few things can fit this category. Like, like LCD Sound System is a great example of what I would listen to at the gym because their music has all those things. It has good hooks. It has, because I like to like hum the hooks in between like sets. Okay. You know? It has good rhythm, rhythmic content that's consistent throughout the whole song. And it has high energy. I mean, it's dance music. So it fits all those categories. I mean, another example of an artist, something else that would fit that, I mean, would be Death Grips. Like, I would listen to Death Grips at the gym because it has those qualities, not because the music is necessarily aggressive. And it's really aggressive and, like, dark. But, like, there are specific Death Grips albums, even particularly their instrumental ones, that I think really, like, fit that mold for me. Um, Can, Can I ask you a question there? Yeah. So is there a distinction between you know the those kinds of things that you would listen to say at the gym and yeah. and the kind of music that you might listen to on you know your your subway ride to work or something like that in the sense of if you were listening to something on the subway ride to work that comes up that would fit in your gym playlist do you say oh this is weird to listen to because it feels like a gym song to me or can you no. separate it No there's no there's there's no separation there I mean, there are like there are things that fit in certain categories. Well, when you when I talk about the subway, like if I'm on, on the subway, I'm very indiscriminate. Like I'll listen to whatever I'm because I, I have music that I that serves a functional purpose in my life in an insofar as that it it accompanies activities, and then I have music that I listen to for enjoyment or for studying or learning. Mm. And the subway is an example of a place where I can listen to that type of music. Like I listen to what I'm like into at the moment. Like if I'm like recently, I've really been into Miles Davis in like the seventies, like his electric period. Mm -hmm. And I'll listen to that on the subway. I'll listen to that while I'm doing chores. I'll listen to that while I'm, you know, working at at the shop. Like these things. It's like your exploration period. Exactly. Like when I can listen, when I'm at the gym, you know, I want to listen to music that I'm familiar with um, and music that I, that fits those categories for me. However, to move forwards in time to the from the before time to the now time when i go running i don't listen to music at all mostly because my earphones don't stand <laughs> but <laughs> um if i'm if i'm doing like a workout at home like i move the table in, in the kitchen and i'm doing a workout like a bodyweight workout or something i'll use listen to the same music that i listen to at the gym recently i've been into uh, drum and bass playlists on YouTube. Hmm. I can put, I'll put a link in the show notes to like what I mean, but like very specific early nineties, early digital kind of drum and bass or like, like breakbeat music. Hmm. 
because it fits those it fits the categories for me it fits all those ticks you know boxes. ticks all those boxes yeah mm-hmm. but i think this brings up another point which is like i kind of touch on this is like the difference between functional and enjoyment mm-hmm. in terms of music and in terms of art in general i mean to go back to your original question like movies and tv you know tv shows is a good example of this can fit both those categories like there's and i know it may seem a little weird when i say like functional tv show yeah so like when my girlfriend and I are hanging out at the end of the night, we're like going to sit in bed and like watch something mm-hmm. that TV serves a functional purpose. Like it is to accompany the activity of us hanging out together, us eating ice cream, us, us <laughs> like just wanting to like laugh at something like that's a comic, like a comedy would serve that purpose. Like mm-hmm. we've been watching Silicon Valley in that situation. Mm-hmm. However, in the same way, like in that same situation, we'll watch like a serious documentary about immigration like i mean like not to get like super heavy super fast (laughs) with this but like we'll watch a documentary about like ice detention centers or we'll watch a documentary about we watch like the jeffrey epstein documentary like Mm -hmm. in that same situation we'll be watching silicon valley however one is like something you really want to get into and you really are like approaching from a learning perspective and one is like purely functional like you want to have a light time you want to laugh and you want something to accompany your ice cream like, you know what I mean? Like, it's yep. like, I think art can serve both those functions. But I think this brings up another point, which is like a whole other discussion. I don't know if we want to go here, but like, has art always served? Or rather, has art always served multiple functions? Mm. Has it always, has it never been just art to be appreciated or to be studied or to be enjoyed? I I, I feel like this line between functional and like, enjoyment or like functional and like like engaging or yeah. stimulating mentally like mm. i feel like that's such a scale like there's it's such a blurry scale yeah and i, don't know. I, th- what do you I think, think well i think unfortunately or, or maybe fortunately like so many of those distinctions are just inherently in the eye of the beholder in the sense that you know i might think silicon valley is actually not my wouldn't wouldn't be the in the functional category for me and maybe might be something that I choose as a as a gateway to somehow you know get myself or maybe someone I know into tech or something like that yeah and and not for you know its comedic wind down ice cream accompaniment purposes yeah. um so so I think I think that depends and something that made me think of both either with TV movies or, or music so far that whether or not you see them as functional or not they with either categorization that you could give them i think then still hold significant value yeah the thing is that like say say we go back to music for a second if you think about like not that there's not that i really agree with this concept in in general but if you think of like what people might describe as like throwaway music or something like that or or manufactured music or yeah you know just like music yeah you know big record company kind of you know corporation produced music whatever you want to say and it fits one of those molds for you. Like, say, you know, that's the kind of shit that you blast in the gym. Which well, people, the, plenty which, of people do. Oh, I mean, sure. I, you and can I think, hear it over people's headphones. Absolutely. And so, which is dangerous. Don't do, don't listen to music that loud. <laughs> oh my God, dude. You and I are two very much uh, purveyors of our longevity in the hearing department. Oh my, especially me. Yeah. But yeah, so I think, I think that, that makes it, that makes it tough to <clears throat> sort of be able to, be more um, di- like be able to dive deeper into into the the specifics or the characteristics of something when even something that you could say is 
sort of afterthoughtly manufactured might still just as well serve that purpose for the next person down the road. Yeah. Um, which I, which I think is a tough thing, but I did want to ask you one, one other adjacent question, yeah. which is probably one that has a, maybe a bit more of a definition if in a, in a different medium. And that is yeah. similar question, but in books and mm. how do you choose which books to consume? Because there are certain books that, you know, maybe people would describe as, uh, say the kind of book that you would pick up at an airport and like read on vacation, you know, like your stereotypical, maybe thriller or novel or, you know, the next Jason Bourne book or something. Yeah. Or you could have nonfiction, but either way, I think there, there are ones in, in either category that would fit under this thing of, okay, I am choosing this book deliberately because I want to learn or I want to think, or I want to be um, stimulated in some way, or I'm choosing this book, whether it be fiction or nonfiction purely because maybe I'm just bored or maybe I'm like, I'm on vacation and this is a relaxing thing. I don't necessarily yeah. care about the content of the book, but just the, the consumption of the medium is all I need. Mm. So you're asking like, what, what's, what's the question? <laughs> the question is, <laughs> the question is, do you, do you feel that way about books? Do you make that distinction consciously of maybe I want something like this just for purely like, you know, unwinding with a book or is yeah. it is it always I'm picking the book for a specific like you know stimulating reason? Yeah. Mm. Well, mm, yeah, mm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're like it's tr- it's difficult for me to answer that because and I don't like to admit this, but I don't like I don't read a lot. <laughs> like I, I'm a really bad reader. Like not like I can't read, which I can, <laughs> but I'm a bad reader in the sense of like. I often compare myself, maybe unfairly, to my girlfriend who reads so much. I mean, she's a writer, so and like that's her medium, so she's going to consume a lot of that. I think I compare myself to that, and I don't even come close to doing that much reading, like <laughs> yeah, like not even remotely. That's um, tough. That's a I tough think, standard. Yeah, I think she would be a better person to, to ask this question to because she is much more of a bigger reader than me. But if to answer the best way that I can, like. I read one book mm. at a time. And whenever there's a time for me to read, I read that book. If it's fiction, nonfiction, serious, academic, fun, whatever. Mm. I'm always reading the same book. Cause for me, reading is like a very like activity specific or like location specific. Mm-hmm. Like you bring up vacation, that's like a perfect example. Like I'll bring a book on vacation and it'll be the book that I'm reading at that time. And when I say the book that I'm reading at the time, I mean the book that I'm reading in bed at night or the book that I'm reading, you know, on the train or whatever. Like it's just the same book. So I don't know. It's hard for me to kind of speak, but you know, and you got me into this. There is like books on tape or like audiobooks, And when I listen to an audiobook, purely it will be nonfiction. Mm. Only listen to non. I only listen to nonfiction. Like I don't really read nonfiction. It's easier for me to consume that way. Huh. I, didn't I know. have a harder time reading it. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I'm very similar. And when I listen to books, it's, I would say, 95% nonfiction. Yeah. I can't read nonfiction. It's just hard for me. But I would say, I mean, there are, there are a few fiction books that you maybe could give a try on, on audiobook because the yeah. the narration and the performance are like yeah. such an incredible part of it. Like oh, just, yeah. just for example, like, the Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman, his yeah. voice is spectacular. On audiobook. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that aspect. I like when there is the, like different narrators. But then to me, that's not a book anymore. That's just like it's like a, a audio, audible, audible theater or something. Yeah, it's exact. Exactly, it's like radio. Yeah, Ra- play, yeah plays radio, on the radio, radio or whatever. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a new. Um, there's a new. Um, one of his, I think, I don't know if it was like a comic series from the '90s or something like that from Neil Gaiman yeah. as well, called The Sandman. They mm-hmm. just put that out on audiobook on Audible, and that has like mm-hmm. a huge, you know, total cast and stuff like that. And that's sick. That's cool. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's excellent. Yeah, that I would listen to. I I, I can't listen to like one person just reading all the characters i mean we i've done it before and like you've recommended books and i've listened to them yeah and it's been a pleasurable experience <laughs> you know to go back you've listened to a jason Bourne book i know i listened to <laughs> i listen to more than one i know i think no, i, I think just to the one. one that you recommended but that was that was good like that was a good the style of that book i thought was good for me to consume in that that format we you know how we were listening to dune the yes, dune ones the together? Dune series the dune series like that one was a mess. I don't know what happened with the second book. Oh my god, the second book was much harder to follow. Yeah, I mean, because they're like changing narrators. Yeah, and you get like the same narrators from the first book, where like this narrator was playing this character and this narrator was playing this character. Then you get to the second book, and then those narrators are like narrating whole chapters. Yeah, instead of just voicing specific characters, and you're like, what the? F- <laughs> <laughs> like, it was so confusing. Yeah. And like, that's an example of like where I like don't remember what happened at all in that book. I can tell you what happened in the first book. Oh, I, I remember can, that one. I completely agree. I, I remember <laughs> I remember like flashes of the second book, but there were points where I got confused. I remember when I finished it, the second book, which is what, Doom yeah. Messiah, is it? Yeah, Doom Messiah. When I finished it, I I remember feeling like, okay, like I got it, like by the end. But in, in retrospect, I feel like it's like not as much of it stuck as I wanted to. Like yeah. I remember, you know, a giant firestorm and you know like plot points like that i don't remember that <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe i'm totally wrong and there wasn't a giant firestorm um, or at least <laughs> you know a great war of sorts yeah part of the reason i asked the question in the first place was just because i yeah i find it i find it difficult sometimes to not be over deliberate about you know media or art consumption mm, yeah where i feel like i would benefit from not thinking too hard about it and just like sitting back and watching something yeah um or or listening to something or or yeah. reading something where i feel like so many of the books that i i mean almost exclusively all the books that i read are books that i picked up from either a friend or someone i respect that i've either listened to or read about read their work or something like that and they're all they're all like very deliberate like oh i'm you know i'm going to read this book specifically because i want to do this specific thing or you know exactly because i want to learn more about this one thing yeah. And not just because like, oh, I just want like something to relax with or something like that or Yeah. But I think it's probably most um, m- most prevalent with like movies and TV shows where watching, you know, something like a uh, romantic comedy or something like that. I think for a while I had a hard time watching that cuz I'm with, without feeling like sure maybe I could kick back and just like, you know, watch the movie, but it, it would be so hard for me to do without just constantly being plagued by like this feels like a waste of my life. In time, like what am I doing sitting here when I could be doing something else, and yeah. and not sort of willing to give into that relaxation of just like, don't take it so seriously, dude. Just hang out. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's funny we're having this conversation because I feel like, and folks may disagree with this that we know personally. But I feel like <laughs> we're overworkers. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We would. I am we, at least. No, I yeah. think. Um, I think we both very surely fall into that category. We, we we've talked about this often. Where. Yeah. You know, I feel like if you and I are working together on something, it's no, no problem. Like, get up, work with only bathroom and food breaks. Go to sleep. Work, wake up. Do it again. Yeah. I think maybe a, a good succinct way to put it is even with creative endeavors and stuff like that. Maybe especially sometimes. I feel like you and I are the kinds of people that you don't wait for creativity. Creativity finds you working, I think is the quote. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, like you, like you do the work day in, day out and you know, the, the creativity comes and goes, but you're, you're always working towards that. Yeah. I mean, then it's like, it's, it's interesting. Cause I think, I mean, this goes into a conversation about the word creativity and I feel <laughs> like, no, seriously, I feel like it's, it's, and of course, this is different for everyone. So mm. I don't think this is something that applies to a lot of like, I don't think every person who is a creative person in their work or in their life in general would like agree with this. But I think for maybe you and me, particularly, creativity is, it's not like a thing you have. It's like a state that you enter. Yes. Or even and and like even looser than that, like it's not even, I don't like to say like, oh, I feel creative today. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, oh, I've. I'm feeling focused, yes. so I'm going to work. Yes. And like, I think that that, and if, I don't think everyone has this experience. I, obviously, I feel like everyone's different, but like for you and me, it's kind of like, oh, now, like I'm feeling focused right now. Like, you know, I woke up and I planned, you know, three days in advance that this day I'm going <laughs> to work on music all day. We're going to go to the studio and then you get there and you're focused. And that is creative, so to speak. It's not like you're like, you wake like at four o'clock in the afternoon, you're like, oh, I'm feeling creative. Like I, I understand that. Like, and I have that those moments sometimes where I like have this moment of like clarity where I'm like, I feel like if I sit down at the computer right now, like I'm gonna come up with something cool. Maybe I don't know. And you could be totally wrong, and you could make some shit. But like, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's it's more about the like the mindset than it is about like some abstract quality that yeah, you have. Exactly. I think the way I think about it is just it's like what I focus on more is just the practice of it. Yeah. And. You know, the, the, all that other jazz comes with that. Yeah. 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 I think other people would have similar experiences. Yes. But I think, and I think to, to a certain extent, what you're describing is that sort of like general concept of flow. Um, yeah. Flow yeah. combined with maybe sprinkles of deep work. If we've talked about that concept before. Yeah. That's, that's Cal Newport's book. I think you and I are extremely similar in that regard. And yeah. At times that is, um, very clearly not shared by others <laughs> that we might work with. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. No. Um, and, and in some cases, actually, that's that's a good thing and, and a good thing to um, to sort of be uh, offset with, if you will. Yeah. I think I've sort of trained myself to be like this, thinking back on my own experiences as a musician or as a person who does music stuff. When I was in high school, I was in marching band, and that's an intense experience if anyone who's does marching band knows exactly what i mean like <laughs> it's not like i mean it's not creative at all i mean it is like it, it there are moments of like flow where you feel like you're in the you know you're in the music you're in the song there's a hundred people playing with you together on the field playing as loud as possible and like that's an amazing feeling and that's like a flow state mm-hmm. but it's not like create like you're not like coming up with ideas but there it, it does train you to do this thing where you kind of you know, it's like a sport. It's like 
practice a rehearsal, you show up and like you have to be in in the zone at that time or else it's going to be an awful experience for you and you're going to get in trouble and the director is going to be like, yo, dude, why'd you mess up so much tonight? You know, <laughs> so you kind of train yourself to be like, oh, when I'm here, now I'm working. Now I'm in mm. focus. Now I'm focused, you know, combining that with like just my other experiences later down the line, especially music related ones where it's like music time is a very kind of precious thing. And like when you're in it, like you want to make the best of it, like that trains you to kind of to think of certain spaces and certain time periods as those creative spaces there. I I use the word creative there, but like, you know, like when you get to the studio, there is this switch that turns on. And now all of a sudden you're thinking differently about music. And it's so hard to like access, access that. And then I try to do that like off in a whim, like the next day. And it's like impossible. Mm. It's so hard to do. It's, it's so hard for me to like sit down randomly at the middle of the day and like, all right, I'm going to do this mix. Like I didn't, you know, wasn't planning on doing this mix today, but I'm going to do this mix right now. Like I just can't, I just can't do that. It has to be, it has to be a a place physically and mentally that you go to, Mm. to do the work. Yeah, absolutely. Have you um, by any chance seen, it was one of the most more recent CGP gray videos, which was called spaceship U. Oh yeah. I was, you know, I was thinking about that a lot when I was talking about, um, that exact thing that he talks about it's it's all about the spaces and the mental shifts of of yeah, having absolutely. that physical space but yeah we'll throw that in the show notes but i yeah that yeah. goes along with what you were saying I, I i think that's excellent so next i uh <clears throat> i wanted to run an idea by you that okay. i had the other day i was you know winding down my girlfriend and i were in bed almost ready to fall asleep and i love how you can like be ready to fall asleep and then be like all right sleeping time that's that's pretty much what it is no but anyway um, so i you know we were talking about i guess it was just talking about what different kinds of like setups that certain people have at their weddings like how certain people might have like you know fancy barrels we went to okay we went to a writing uh i'll explain (laughs) we went to we went to a wedding uh in november of last year and they had a really nice like custom engraved barrel of tequila a barrel, a barrel of it, so like on tap, tequila, dude. Um, <laughs> okay, for the for the whole thing, like it was just this one giant barrel, like engraved, uh, like you know, addressed to them, like dedicated to them. It was wow. super cool. I, you know, I I don't know about like the the quantity of tequila, but yeah. the the like the thing itself, it was awesome. But anyway, okay. it, sort of along those lines, and it got me thinking. Okay, what what would I maybe find interesting in that sort of thing, or what would be exciting or, or original? And oh, for you to have like. At, at your wedding, so yeah. To speak. Well, the thing is, it's like you know, uh, we're not really super into the idea of of a, of a big wedding in any way, per se. Yeah. But but that aside, just thinking about this idea, I thought, okay, <clears throat> how great would it be, and would it be successful? And and it kind of went through through a few iter- different iterations. But the original iteration was having a gigantic, sort of like very very fancy looking bowl that's kind of like a okay. You can almost picture it as like a little piece of art or something that like a like a bowl so like a like yeah a bowl yeah but okay. think think about it as like the size of like a, a jacuzzi or something like a bowl that like five oh. people could fit inside of and just like hang out in so a tub kind of like a tub but a, a, you know like a half sphere yeah and then that tub is filled to the brim with tortellini <laughs> <laughs> well just are they vegan tortellini, tortellini? 
Well, the, so that was my that was my next immediate thought. I was like, okay, hold on, we need to have different flavors of tortellini in there, not only for variety, but also because people's preferences. Yeah. And so then I was thinking, okay, if you're looking at it top down, maybe have it be sort of like an orange thing, or like a you know divided into six triangles essentially inside there, okay, or six pizza slices or whatever you want to say. Yeah, and you can Physically have a whole, divided with like yeah, like barrier? actual barriers, okay. like they're you know they're built into this bowl. Got you. It's a very nice looking bowl. It looks very fancy. And say you have your, you know, your normal cheese tortellini, you have spinach tortellini, cheese and spinach tortellini, different kinds of cheeses, gluten freeze. You have your vegan cheese or whatever you want. <laughs> any any assortment of tortellini flavors that you can think of. Okay, filled to the brim, tons of filled to the tortellini. Brim. And the idea being that my original, at least, uh, incarnation of it was that you would have these like big, nice ladles in each one. You could go mm-hmm. over, and then you have these fancy, almost like stemmed glasses that you drink like something fancy out of, <laughs> and you put the tortellini in the glasses, <laughs> and then you, that's how that's like you're kind of mingling. So maybe maybe you'll have a drink in one hand, and you have like your fancy ass glass of tortellini in the other hand, yeah. and you don't have a utensil; you're just kind of like funneling it into your mouth. So you're drinking it. <laughs> well, yeah, you're well, you're tipping <laughs> it into your mouth, and that like that would be you know one of like the staple appetizer moments. You know, you don't have like, you know, the typical fancy, you know, like waiterish people or whatever you want to call them, like catered people walking around yeah. with little plates on their things. You know, can, can I offer you a whatever? Yeah. Like, no, I'm going to go over. I'm going to scoop some tortellini into this fancy glass and I'm going to chill out <laughs> hanging out with people while I funnel it into my mouth with my glass. <laughs> that sounds th- awesome to me and <laughs> unique and memorable and exciting and delicious. You are not wrong on any of those accounts. I mean, I think <laughs> no one will forget that. If you want to have a wedding that no one's going to forget, all you need is the giant bowl to leave. All you need is a giant bowl. I think the the main, I don't want to say it's a flaw because I, I think that's there's no flaw. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the improvements in a second, but go ahead. Is it people won't eat dinner because then they'll just eat tortellini the whole time. I don't see it. I, that doesn't sound like a problem to me. That doesn't sound like a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, to me, that sounds like, I mean, no, you know, I, I I don't like to eat, you know, just tortellini for dinner. Like, that's not my, you know, oh, so. You know, just sit down on the couch with a giant bowl of tortellini and eat it until you're good and then you say the rest? So, no, yeah, I, I don't, I, I do that. I do do that. But I would, what I would request, uh-huh. you know, and not that I'm in a position to request because it's not my wedding. But if I was in a position to request, I would request some sort of like, like tortellini bouncer. So okay. if you go back, he goes, no, no, you've, you've had too much. Oh, it's like, I, you know, sir, I think you should, I think you should stop. Exactly. You know, when I tell him, when he go, when I go up for the first time, he's like, how many bowls are you going to have? And what I'm going to go, you, you know, bowls, how many, how many glasses, how many glasses? Okay. I go up to this guy and I go, how many, he goes, how many glasses are you going to have? And I tell him, stop me at, at two. And he goes, <laughs> I will. And if I go back for that third one, you better believe he's going to put up a fight if I want that third, you know. <laughs> Like it's for my own good. I have to set my own right. prep, my own restrictions mm-hmm. earlier in the process. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be requirement in this situation. But other than that, I think it's a flawless idea. Well, okay. So let me tell you. Let me tell you then the enhancement that we maybe thought up. Oh, okay. The enhancement would be okay. The, maybe the argument was we can't trust people to self serve this. Yeah. What if people like accidentally have a have a drink? in hand and they're going to fill this up and maybe the drink like spills over into the tortellini and oh my god that's a goddamn that would be unacceptable and be a damn shame yeah um so 
Or even worse, mm-hmm. you accidentally pour your drink into a glass with tortellini in it. Well, you know, people are free to experiment. But that does <laughs> if it's if it's unwanted, then yes, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but I'm not gonna. Who am I to stop them? Uh, creativity, dude. Um, but anyway, fair. So we were thinking, okay, what if you take this bowl, you yeah. shift it 90 degrees so that it's the opening of the bowl is perpendicular to the ground now. So now it's like a tap, not a tap. Now it's like a, um like. When you go to like a wine cask, yes, it's similar of tortellini, sure, or like the coffee when you get coffee beans at the grocery store, yes, yes, mm. similar to that. So it's a big, it's a big bowl, ninety degrees on a very fancy stand. You have all the tortellinis in there, and almost like those dispensers of sorts, it's almost like having the tortellini on tap, and <laughs> and maybe as well, like you mentioned, having some sort of staff there that you go up and it's and it's just like you know like a like a, a little counter. And yeah. you go up and you say, you know, can I get some of that one? And the, you know, you watch the the staff person go over and the trained expert, exactly. And uh, yeah. you know, they fill your glass with some tortellini and they hand it back yeah. to you. <laughs> um, so it's still it's still a spectacle and it's still uh, an experience. Oh yeah, but without the dangers of uh, contamination or just mishaps. I think I think you're you've. You when you say it becomes an experience, or you say it is an experience, I think with this modification you've cemented that because you've done the classic move of late stage capitalism, which is to <laughs> oh give the God. appearance. No, no, see, hear me out here. It's to give the appearance of luxury mm. to something that's completely ridiculous. Um, not saying that it's a bad thing that it's completely ridiculous. It's incredible. Are you bad mouthing tortellini? I'm not bad mouthing tortellini. I'm. I'm just saying by by offering the trained tortellini dispensing personnel, now all of a sudden this is far more than just tortellini in a giant bowl. This is an experience. Mm. This is a luxury consumer experience. And I feel like that adds another element of class to the wedding. Mm. It's not just, you know, this is not your peasants, you know, <laughs> jungle juice. This oh, is geez. this is a finely aged oak barrel full of brandy that's been saved for 30 years for this right. specific occasion. And you give that – I could be totally wrong about the mechanics of brandy in this situation. But mm-hmm. I think I make my point. It has become a luxury experience. Yeah. And I think adding the trained tortellini dispensing personnel cements that aspect of it. I totally agree. And. Now that we're actually thinking about it, and it feels like it's becoming a, a real idea that I will hopefully implement in some way, whether it's at my own event or someone else's, I think you would probably need to have an equivalent or similar contraption to dispense different sauces. Oh, absolutely. I am totally, totally content to eat, you know, anyone who knows me will, will know, totally content to eat plain ass tortellini. I think tortellini is so good that it stands alone, but... People have sauce preferences, and I don't. Uh, I don't disagree with the enhancement that a good sauce gives it. So I'm totally down for that. So it sounds like you completely think it's a fantastic idea and are encouraging me to pursue it. I'm all of those things. Yes. Okay. I'm glad to hear. It. <laughs> so once we can, I think it's honestly. I feel like the 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 the, the logistical aspects are pretty much already there. I mean, they exist. These mm-hmm. contraptions exist. I mean, you just really just have to build it. Yeah, which the which manufacturing is, parts mm, are there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I need to I need to see whether I can do it myself or whether I need to f- find someone who can build me a fancy tortellini dispenser. Well, if you need help, you know I'm there. 
Yeah, that's true. How's your how's your uh, your your making your maker skills, your crafting skills? My crafting skills? Oof. I mean, what do you what like you work with your hands on a daily basis in a very in a very you know, physically demanding job. <laughs> yes, it's my very physically demanding. Well, okay. Yeah. I, mm. My s- skills as a craftsman are on orders of magnitude smaller scales than this tortellini dispenser. I I don't think of myself as a macro builder. Ah, uh, so you're saying that then the tortellini dispenser requires. Yeah, like I think my expertise and I when I say expertise, I mean that word extremely loosely. My practice is on a much smaller scale. Mm. A, a TLO 72 op amp is far smaller than the average tortellini. And I could solder that bad boy anywhere you want me to solder it. But if you want me to build things larger than the size of my hand, we're talking a little <laughs> bit out of my a bit out zone. of my my no yeah, my my yeah, a little bit out of my comfort zone on that. <laughs> but that does not mean I'm not willing to get dirty, get down and dirty with it. Okay. Okay. Which well, I am. So I will I will keep that in mind. Yeah, let me know. You know, thanks for listening. You're welcome. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening to all of our listeners. Yeah. All three. Well, just you wait. So I think this was probably maybe two weeks ago now <clears throat> that I was reading this book. But it was a book called Bad Science by Ben Goldacre. And it's it's a book on like how how companies and big pharma and all that jazz exploit consumers in some ways and, and essentially manipulate research and studies and stuff like that in, in ways yeah. that they can just like do what they want to do. Yeah. But anyway, so I came across this little passage here that I thought was uh, thought provoking, but I think it, it sparks a larger question. So maybe let me just read mm-hmm. the passage quickly and uh, we'll move over to that. Yeah. So he's talking about here on um, the science behind cosmetics and he pretty much points out that scientifically the difference between like, you know, a, a the cheapest moisturizer you could buy and like a super mega fancy moisturizer is close to nothing and negligible the di- and let's do so the difference in terms of the effectiveness or the difference in terms of their um material characteristics into like the, the chemical characteristics i think it's more the like what they actually do okay so anyway so he so he's talking about that and he goes on to say um that the manufacturers will will you know do all sorts of spins on it and so he says quote So what's wrong with this kind of spin? We should be clear on one thing. I'm not on a consumer crusade. Just like the national lottery, the cosmetic industry is playing on people's dreams, and people are free to waste their money. I can very happily view posh cosmetics and other forms of quackery as a special self-administered voluntary tax on people who don't understand science properly. So... He sounds like such a dick. <laughs> Sorry, um, no, I, I I totally agree. I, I paused there when I was when I was listening. I was like, "Whoa, dude, that's quite a term there." Um, yeah, that's quite a statement you got there, bud. I mean, no, I think it's interesting. Like, it's like I first I just gotta say, like, I feel like he's the guy where you're like, everyone's at the you know at a party and everyone's standing around and you're like, "Oh, you know what's what you guys do this weekend? Oh, we went to the beach, blah blah blah." And this guy barges in and he's like. <laughs> Do you guys uh, ever think about how organic food products are completely nonsensical? And it's like, dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, anything could be USDA organic. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? Okay, yeah. anyway. 
that was what sort of prompted me to think about this. But yeah, more extrapolating that, I think um, I wanted to talk about maybe the maybe the morals behind being involved in a business. It doesn't have to be specifically cosmetics, obviously, but maybe more in a business where it could be seen sort of as like a a business that manufactures this product either out of thin air or as a sort of upsell upsold version of a, of another product or mm. luxury. Yes. Luxury, but even just more broadly, maybe things that might not directly serve or benefit others. Maybe you could call that corporate America in some sense. Yeah. Late stage capitalism. Sure. But pretty much where, where is the line that you would draw at least personally to you, Tyler, where's the line that you might draw about feeling good about the work that you're doing? And, and do you need that in your work mm. to, and to what extent? Maybe mm. do you not feel great about it, but you're like, mm, you know what? I don't feel so bad about it that I'm, that I'm going to get out of here. Yeah. And maybe lastly, if you were to start your own business, say you started a, you know, a random, a random business, say teeth whitening strips mm. and, and you're selling your fancy smancy teeth whitening strips and they don't really do a whole lot over the normal ones, but you mark them up and you package them really fancy and you make a beautiful website and you sell them at a marked up price and you're making bank. Yeah. How, how do you feel about that? Well, hmm. oh, so many things. Uh, first, <laughs> first thing. Okay. First thing let's, I'll start forwards, start from the end and work backwards. I would not mark up the price. If I was teeth whitening strips is a great example. I would not mark up the price on the teeth whitening strips farther than I would need to. I would make a high quality product that does what it says it's going to do. Do nice advertising so people feel good about buying it. You know, make sure to use ethical uh, sourcing, ethical manufacturing, like all these things. Make it good from top to bottom, both quality from a quantitative standpoint and a qualitative standpoint and an ethical standpoint make it good and price it fairly so that the company makes a profit and can invest in developing better products so the workers who make the products can be fairly compensated for their work so the people the scientists who work in designing the products can be fairly compensated for their work mm. so the administrator you know all these things everyone should be fairly comp i feel like that's like and the consumer yep. should not be paying more than they need to for that product mm. but you do have to you do have to eventually decide on a profit margin yeah i mean i don't know enough about business to, to say what that is so. sure but but what if the consumer in in this case for example totally is super down and supports and is happy to pay a greatly marked up price are you saying that even if that was the case and they would be happy to do it and would be a super happy consumer and the product would do exactly what they expect to do and are happy with it but that even so you would want to charge a lower price just because you feel like you shouldn't be charging that high of a price i don't know i mean it's hard to say because i don't know what i would do in that situation mm. maybe i would i mean i hope i wouldn't but maybe i would because you know at the same time like for every person that's willing to pay you know like and this is my problem with luxury stuff in general <laughs> it's like the luxury business or similar businesses that like the, the high quality the 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 um the premium product business that like charges more than they need to for a thing it's like silly to me it's like i think everyone regardless of who they are or their stature in society or life should be able to i mean as long as we're living in a capitalist system should be able 
to have the highest quality, most ethically sourced and ethically manufactured products possible. I mean, is that always possible? Is that is that the way the world? No, I mean, of course, that's not how it it actually is. But like, I think that's how it should be. Like, to go from toothpaste or teeth whitening to like food, the only people that can afford ethically sourced, ethically made food, ethically produced food that's follows all these you know high standards. Like, it's expensive, and like, mm. like people that can't afford to to buy that high quality, for lack of a better term, food, like, are forced to settle for things that support unethical labor uh, practices that are maybe not as uh, healthily grown. Maybe they use pesticides. Like maybe it's, you know, meat with heavily, a lot of antibiotics in it. Like I think it's wrong. Like to me, the wrongness, the unethicalness is in not any product in particular, but that the system is set up in such a way that there is this separation between premium or high quality products and like affordable products in both their their ethical production, their the efficacy of their production, mm. the quality of their materials, the quality of the product itself. Like there is this gap, and I think that that is fundamentally unfair. And it's like mm. I think that the capitalist system only perpetuates that in so many other ways. So like you know, I don't know. It's so hard for me to like <laughs> say what I would do in that situation. As a business owner, let me ask you then: How about something that maybe you come into, um, maybe something that you come into contact with? Is say you are on location for a for a job, yeah, and yeah. how like do you feel differently, or do you feel that it affects your work in any way? If you've, if maybe it's like, okay, you've taken the job, so you don't, yeah. it's, you didn't feel so badly about the company, or or you know, you didn't think that they were so predatory or whatever that you wouldn't take yeah. the the gig or that you wouldn't take the client yeah. on maybe they don't instill you know a lot of admiration from you or something like that yeah you but you're but you're there do you feel any which way about it does that affect your like work and in, in how you mm. do them like if you're there say say you're working for a cosmetic company and you just happen to be doing uh you know a job for like an ad for them or something like that yeah maybe you don't feel so don't think so highly about it mm. uh hmm. that's a good question i mean there's a lot of factors that go into first, first things first. Like when I accept a job, I have no idea who the company is Oh, that I'm doing the job for. Like if it's an advertisement, which it most often is, I have no idea who that is until like the day before, because the way it works is you're hired by a production company. So a producer reaches out to you and they say, we need audio for this date. Are mm-hmm. you available? And you say, mm-hmm. yes. And you sh- they, you ask, what do you need? And they say, we have two cameras and we have four talent, uh, one-on-one interviews, and we're going to be in a studio space in Brooklyn or something like that. Mm. That's what they'll, that's all they'll tell you. So you prepare for that. And then you show up or like the day before, they'll send you an email and they'll be like, here's the call sheet. And you look at it and it says like the call sheet for whatever production company, X whatever brand. So it'll be like, you'll know the day before after you've already accepted the job. Who the, uh. who the client is. So you don't really get to have a choice in like, at least at my level in the industry, like you don't get to have a choice as to what company you're working for. So like you can't afford to make that decision like where you're like, well, I'm not going to work with this company because I don't support them from an ethical standpoint. Like then you're compromising your own professional reputation, your professional integrity. Like if you just back out of the job, like that looks horrible. <laughs> like you can't just mm-hmm. do that. 
because oftentimes these production companies also are in the same position that you're in. Like the brand reaches out to them. They say, we need to do a shoot and this is what we want to do. And the production company makes it happen. Like they're not always in a position where they can just like turn down this client because they don't agree with the client's business practices. Mm. So it's really tricky. Now to get to your, the second part of that question, like if I'm on the job and I'm like, you know, most often everyone on set for the most part is feeling the same way you are. Like, especially if it's a commercial, like everyone is like, you know, we're, you're not being as creative as you want to be, obviously. I mean, if as an audio person, you're like arguably the least creative person on set because <laughs> your your job is just to get the sound to be good. Like mm. that's the only job that you have. Yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not bringing in a reverb, you know, be like, dude, I'm going to make it cool. Yeah, I'm going to put the fucking sickest slapback delay. No, um, you're the camera, the camera crew is like, they're getting their great shots and they're like mm. doing their thing that they're like into, which is like getting cool shots, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not every commercial is like this <laughs> corporate interviews. Like that's just boring. Like they're just like, it just needs to look like b- flat and look like real life or look like what we perceive real life to look like, mm. um, which is another conversation in and of itself. But so you, I don't know. It's like, you can't like you get there and you just got to do the work and you got to like, you got to do your job. You got to do a good job. And you're not in a position where your uh, opinion of the client from an ethical perspective can influence the work you do. You're just not in that position. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's very similar. It's, in fact, it's for the exact same reasons that the average consumer really isn't in a position to choose products based on their own ethical standards. Like, I mean, a, a recent example is a particular company that makes beans and other canned goods support it or express their support in a particular politician that many people don't like who what are you going to say to the the family that is buying this company's products because they're high quality relatively speaking and affordable relatively speaking you're going to tell them well now you got to buy organic garbanzo beans that's twice the price Mm. because this company expressed questionable the ceo of this company expressed questionable ethical views Mm. It's like they're not in a position to make that choice. Most people are in a a position to make that choice. I'm not in a position to make that choice. Like capitalism presents us with limited options and it also presents us with an environment where our own ethical beliefs and ethical standards can't always apply to the purchase decisions we make. And I think unfortunately, like that's just the nature of this capitalist system. I I agree. I think it's, I think it's tough. I mean, ideally there would be a competitor that offers products that are sort of on par with that at a similar price yeah. range that you could just switch to and and then you know pay vote with your dollars in that sense, but yeah, that's not always the case. And that's that's, not always the case. N- maybe they don't even exist, or maybe they're not in your area and you don't have that availability. And yeah, the price range isn't there. I mean, uh, I mean, to get, I don't want to so get hard. in. You could go really deep into this and start talking about like with food, especially like how this mass market food or like mass production food, like. Is inherently expensive. Yeah. Whereas, like high quality organic food grown locally is like theoretically cheaper. But if you don't live in a, if you don't have access to that, yeah, you don't, you can't afford the luxury of having that organic or high quality product at an affordable price. Yeah. My my, uh, my girlfriend was recently telling me about. It sounds like this concept sounds similar, but she was telling me about the concept of like food equity and like yeah. in terms of access and things like that. Yeah, food deserts. Yeah, I think it's the term that mm. people use. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we still never got to the <laughs> the initial point, the initial statement by this dude, which I thought was interesting. And I'm not, I can't say I'm qualified to speak on cosmetics because I don't buy cosmetics. I don't use cosmetics. I also know nothing about them. I know nothing about them. But I do know 
at least I do, I think I know, that <laughs> you want to feel good about yourself. And so you purchase a product, whether it's a particular moisturizer, a particular shampoo. I can speak about shampoos. You can buy a particular what do, what, shampoo what, what, what because... What do you mean? You don't have hair? I have dandruff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? No, seriously. Like, I, I, I buy a, a particular shampoo. Like, maybe it doesn't work any better than any other particular brand. You know, mm. I buy this fucking... Or I buy this, like, relatively more expensive organic pine tar conditioner that, like, makes me feel less itchy in the scalp. Or at least I think it does. Versus a head and shoulders cheap dandruff shampoo or something. Mm. Maybe there's no inherent difference in the, like, results that these two products present. But I feel better about the one than the other. And so I can put a value on my like mental well-being in that situation and i think the same thing can be applied to like a person who buys moisturizer a versus moisturizer b like and whether this is an ethical stance that the company that produces this takes is another question but if you want to buy moisturizer a versus moisturizer b because even though there's maybe no like quantitative difference or qualitative difference between those two things like you feel better about using one versus the other that feeling has value to you so you can justify spending money for the sake of wanting to feel better. Now, whether you should be spending money to feel better from an ethical or philosophical standpoint is a totally different <laughs> question. But no, I, see what you're I think that is something to not be ignored or that's not something mm. to be um, taken for granted. Oh, God damn it. I, oh, oh, okay. I remember. I remember. Okay. So this is a question. And I don't know if I have a the, the particular best answer for this. I don't know. Maybe you don't either. But I thought it was an interesting question. So a friend of mine was at a bar. And they had a giant poster of Quentin Tarantino's face in that bar. Just kind of All hanging right. out there. <laughs> and I was thinking like, well, what would be... What do you think is the best portrait of a giant director's face that you think belongs at the bar and perhaps belongs in the home for a vibe, <laughs> aesthetic quality. And maybe it doesn't have to be a director. Maybe it has to be just a, 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 a specific known person, well-known person in general. Okay. I mean, Quentin Tarantino, I think, is the perfect person to have at a bar because his his movies give you this feeling of, like, they're light, but at the same time they're kind of, like, dark they're funny Mm. but they're also serious the music's good so that like already gets you feeling good so i don't know what do you think i think quintanio is the perfect giant face to have in a bar Hmm. what do you think so i think before i answer your question maybe a bit of a clarification for me before i get in too deep yeah so you're asking me whose face i would put a close-up shot of either in a bar or a huge one like how big Uh, Have you seen it, or was this just an anecdote to you? It was an anecdote. Uh, Four by seven? I think that's a standard ratio. Okay, that's pretty big. Ratio, yeah. So large. Bigger than a person. It's like big, you know. It's like a wall dominating. But are we talking anyone's face, or are we talking director's faces? Well, I mean, the question was posed to me as a director, but I'm opening it up as I'm not a film buff. Hmm. Someone, anyone, it can be anyone, yeah, as long as the average listener would know who they uh, are. Ah, uh, I see what you're saying. But it's a good good question to pose to listeners. Yeah, maybe we can put some form of responding in this in the show notes, some way that they can do that. Anyway, I well, okay, so 
I think for the setting of a bar, I think this this is super in line. And I think it's totally cool. I think if I was going to do it in a home, perhaps even my own home, <laughs> I I would think much much more uh, much more about it. I think yeah. I think for a bar, <laughs> I'm totally on board Quentin Tarantino for a bar. I don't uh, obviously okay, who know, I don't really know all that much about Quentin Tarantino other than his films. So I don't know if he's like a shit show or something. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of the point is that it, it is sort of this thing where you're like you don't know that person apart from what you know apart from what you know about them. You know what I mean? So it's like to everyone it's going to be a different experience. So that's inherently a potential issue. But it's also like you walk into it with your own sort of it gets to mean something to you that it differently from everyone else. So it's a weird question to ask from that perspective. So, yes, indeed. If it's if it's just that sort of person, I mean, I don't know how many people are that knowledgeable about Quentin Tarantino's greater life. I think I think Quentin Tarantino is a fantastic option for a bar. Would I put yeah. Quentin Tarantino in my home? Uh, probably not. Probably not. I mean, if I was picking from directors, okay, fine. He'd probably be in that top list of directors that I would pick. Yeah. Other directors' faces. The thing is, there are a lot of directors that I like, but not many faces that I would put up. Because <laughs> the thing is, Quentin... It's a tall order. <laughs> yeah, like, for example, you know, I'm... I'm a fan of, for example, uh, you know, I don't know, Christopher Nolan's work. But yeah. I don't want a giant Christopher Nolan face really anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is also, okay, is there like a label saying this is who this is? No. So people just need to know the face. Like how many people yeah. are familiar with Christopher Nolan's face? Maybe a lot of people. I, I mean, I am, I, but I mean, bar- I barely am. Like, I think I know him, but... Would I be able to know, like, if you showed me a picture of five people and you said pick <laughs> Christopher Nolan? Oh, my God. Okay, for next time, I'll do that. Don't don't look him up. And for next the next episode, I will give you a lineup and you'll have to pick out Christopher Nolan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just be five generic blonde white guys, one of which is Christopher Nolan. Anyway. Okay. So it has to be someone that's, you know, recognizable enough that it's not just like a throwaway thing. Yeah. And I think Quentin Tarantino is is good enough for that i think it helps that he has cameos in all his movies and little fun things like that and that his movies are as well known as they are and he's a personality i guess i think you know maybe someone like christopher nolan is is not so much in the limelight but i think as far as directors christopher nolan i mean sorry uh quentin Tarantino, i think is a fantastic option if i think of anyone else hmm the thing is okay do i want this to be serious and like kind of cool ish or whatever yeah in in which case okay sure maybe you could say quentin tarantino falls into that category or what i want it to be just like a meme or comedic or whatever in which case mm. well the thing is okay this one i think Good could be point. double let me let me let me hit you with this one okay I, c- I think it could go either way depending on how much you know and how you look at it yeah george lucas Ooh! <laughs> you know, if I saw, if I walked into a bar and there was a giant picture of George Lucas on the wall, I would crack up and I'd be like, "This is my kind of, this is my kind <laughs> this of, this is my spot." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the same way, and just quick interlude here. In the same way, I would not feel that way, and I did not feel that way when I walked into a what is it called? Los? What's the cantina in Star Wars called? Moss Eisley. Moss Eisley. I did not feel this way when I walked into a Moss Eisley themed bar in Los Angeles. Whoa, whoa, hold on. What's what happened? What? There's a Moss you went to a Moss Eisley themed bar in yeah, Los dude. Angeles? That sounds not only great. did I go to a Moss Eisley themed bar in Los Angeles. This was the only time I've ever been to Los Angeles. 
I went to a Moss Eisley themed bar in Los Angeles on Halloween. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, so is is the bar themed that way just for Halloween or is that their thing all the time? No, that's their thing. Oh my <laughs> you god. You order like they're like Star Wars themed drinks. The music they play is like similar to like you know. <laughs> oh my god. It was a bizarre experience, and that it, was there. I was awesome. on, it was Halloween. I was there, so people were dressed up. It was. Were, were you there, be like with someone that took you for? Oh my god, you got to go to this bar, or did you like look it up, find it, and you're like, hey, we should hit this? Well, we were there because I was doing. I was there for work, right. and I was in Los Angeles for work, and the folks that I was working with were far were far better traveled than I was. Ah, I'm not very well traveled. Right. So they they knew a lot about. Whatever city we went to for this particular job, they'd be like, mm. oh, we got to hit this spot. Like, this spot is no, they know how to look up things on specific apps and like know how to do the research well. Like, I'm not very <laughs> good at that. So I just trusted. I was like, you know, I'm here to have an experience. You lead, I'll follow. Okay. We went to this Moss, they're like, we're going to go to this Moss Eisley theme bar. And I was <laughs> like, okay. I hope we're pronouncing that, by the way, correctly. I really hope we are. I really hope so too, because we're saying it a lot. Yeah, but continue. <laughs> we went we went to this bar and I was like we walked in and immediately I was like, How many drinks do I have to have before I can leave? <laughs> that was my thought when I walked in. Oh my in. god, how come? It was just it was overwhelming. I think the Halloween aspect was a big part of it. The mm. fact that I'd been drinking beforehand was also <laughs> part of it. I was tired. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> if you went on not Halloween, do you think it would have been better? I think it may have been worse. <laughs> oh, my God. Because I've been like, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, at least Halloween, there was a pretext, you know, for like everyone for going there. It was like fun. And of course, you know, we weren't wearing costumes because we were working. So people are like giving us flack for that. I was like, I just want to go home. <laughs> oh, my God. The bar we were at before was way better. <laughs> it wasn't themed. Were you told before? I will say or... the drinks were very good. <laughs> <laughs> These custom they were drinks. creative. Did, yeah. Were you told beforehand, hey, dude, we're going to the Moss Eisley Cantina? Yeah, yeah they, I was told. They're like, we should go. It'll be fun. Mm. So we but, went. But before you walked in, were you like pumped? Ooh, good question. I don't remember. I think I was pumped. I would be so pumped. <laughs> I, I would, yeah. I mean, you think. And then you walk in and then you're like, wait, a, oh my God. No. <laughs> it was it was crowded. And I mean, maybe I'm just like, I have a an urge to go against these, not to go to these types of establishments in general, but it was crowded. It was loud. It's not your vibe. It was hot. Yeah. Yeah. It was not my vibe. But anyway, I mean, George Lucas. Yeah. George. On the so, wall. Okay. So yeah, that's my type of place. So, okay. Let me, may I, uh, may I walk you through my reasoning for it? Yeah. Okay. So I think twofold. One is I think partly maybe I mentioned him on the, on the serious side is because I think it was last year at some point. That I read the, or at least one of the, like the the main biography on George Lucas. Okay, interesting. Fascinating. It was super good. I highly recommend it if you have any interest. I'll put it in the show notes. But essentially, it it goes through, yeah, like it goes through his whole life and his whole career. And pretty much there's so much interesting stuff that I didn't know about the man that I learned. And like how much of an actual pioneer he was in so many, so many areas. Yeah. For example, let me just give you three quick ones. One. Visual effects. The, a lot of the visual effects that they wanted for Star Wars did not exist, so they created an in-house company to do that called ILM. Yeah, there's a documentary that I think it's I think it's a document. I forget what it's called, but they talk about that, and it's it's like a Star Wars documentary. Mm. 
we should also link to that because that one was good. I, I learned a lot from that. Interesting. But go ahead. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. For the n- folks not interested in books, watch the documentary. <laughs> yeah. So they, they didn't have um, they didn't have the ability to do those effects, so they created an in-house uh, effects company that they title ILM. Um, I think it's Industrial Light and Magic is what that stands for. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they they started doing this, and they so they kind of had to invent a lot of techniques for a lot of these effects shots. And then it ended up being like, okay, you know, they got so good at doing that that they actually kind of became a, a source of revenue for Lucasfilm for ILM to do jobs for other movies. And oh, then for, then they had like a crazy long run of like all these years were just like there there were there were years where it was comically like the majority of the movies nominated for you know the best effects Oscars or whatever were just all done by ILM. So <laughs> that's one, which is crazy. And I am still around and doing amazing stuff today. Two was computer graphics, computer-generated graphics. Mm. They had to come up with some of those and some some certain shots. Is this the original trilogy? This is for the original trilogy, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. They, I did not know there was computer graphics. Yes, yes. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, that it started within Lucasfilm, like Lucas George Lucas put put this sort of together, or 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 at least bought part of the team and then kept building it up. And then later on, so they they were like just for like tiny little shots here and there that they needed graphics wise, and and they were they had a lot of like custom hardware that they built and stuff like that um, huh. to be able to do this. And then later on, when Lucas was like kind of doing other stuff and and wasn't really using those much, he actually sold that that branch off. He was he was actually kind of like losing money by keeping them on payroll because um, mm. he wasn't really using them, and so he sold them off. So if you're interested in more of that story, I would recommend. There are a series of books you can you can look them up on that. Maybe I'll toss one or two in the show notes. But that little group inside there uh, is called Pixar. Oh, he, it sold to Steve Jobs, who went on <laughs> to work with them and, and start Pixar. Wow, great story, I, actually. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, and then the last one is sort of like movie audio, and all this whole. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure if it's specifically this one, but all, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, the Dolby Atmos kind of style. Like big the- uh, theater style, like surround sound stuff, yeah, was largely thanks in part to George Lucas doing that because he said, "Okay, I want my shit to be heard gloriously. Let's take this stuff to the next level." And he was the one who kind of like got movie theaters around the country to start taking this seriously. Mm, so the, the the like level to which we ex- like love and experience some of the audio stuff in movies is thanks to him. So he was like a super pioneer in in a lot of these, in a lot of these ways. He, he, if I, again, remembering correctly from the biography came up with the idea for apocalypse now. Oh, okay. Okay. He came up with the idea for apocalypse now and didn't really have the time to do it or the effort to do it. And so he like gave it to Coppola and was like, you should, you should do this. They were like super, super best friends. Them too. Yeah, I remember reading about it as, like in the earlier days of Lucas's career like they worked together on some stuff or something. Yeah, I'm he was he was he that. was more like the the older, slightly more experienced friend. Yeah. But anyway, so long story short, that's why I would say Lucas has sort of like a, you know, actual like important director in history kind of thing. But yeah. but I it's I think it's also very easily. I think the reason I maybe I picked him is because if you know that, then that's kind of cool. And if you don't, He's still kind of a meme. <laughs> he looks. He looks a little. I hate to say he looks silly, but <laughs> he just doesn't look like you have this 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 image in your head of what a film director looks like. There's like a there's like a style of clothing. There's a style of of, of hair and a like a look, mm. and he fits 
as, as at least an adult, he fits um, none of those those categories. <laughs> I wasn't sure which way you were going to lean. <laughs> you bossing? None of them. I mean, like you know, I think of, you think of like like Wes Anderson. You see a picture of Wes Anderson, you're like, yeah, that's what a film director looks like. You see George Lucas, and you're like, yeah, that's what a high school football coach looks like. Oh my god. Oh man, that was brutal. <laughs> Sorry. Well, either way, I you know. I would be I'd be pretty pumped if there was a giant picture of his face in in a bar. I still don't know if I would put him in my home. I don't really know that there's anyone whose blown up face I would put in my home right now. No, but I like him. I put yours in my in my home. Oh, thanks. And I put a little quote underneath it, and it would say, "I love music. I I I love music. I know you. I know you do. Most listeners won't even won't get that, but in in time, I hope they will. Those who know, know." what i mean when i say that okay get ready i'm ready rapid fire here we go number one what is your current favorite ice cream flavor (sighs) fuck um what have you what have you been you and your girlfriend when you watch silicon valley what is your go-to bin Mm, a classic very good the van lewin's chocolate chip cookie dough that sounds excellent with peanut butter add it in and now here's the crazy part on a toasted piece whoa of sourdough bread whoa i'll let the listeners imagine what that tastes like it's incredible wow i'm i'm so on board right away damn okay my answer is not nearly as exciting i'm just gonna give uh the flavors i love vanilla rainbow sprinkles i know oh yeah but i also like you know your 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 cookie doughs and stuff like that cookies and creams um, however, I will say, when, now that you mentioned Van Leeuwen's, um, last time I was there, they had a pumpkin pie ice cream. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God. And it was spectacular. I, I have only good things to say about it. God damn. All right, next question. Yes. Hard or soft shell guitar case? Soft shell. Why? Like high quality or, or, soft shell. Or, or, okay. And by soft sure. shell, I mean like, a, you know, just like a bag style. Yeah, like a bag. High quality. Why? Easier to carry. You can backpack it. It doesn't bonk around as much when you're carrying it in and out of your house. It stores easier mm. when you are not have, when you don't have the guitar in the case. It has pockets on it, almost certainly, on the exterior, which is mm. important. Mm. The hard shell cases, I mean, I don't really understand how they actually protect it better. Than like a good quality soft shell case, you know. Okay, maybe maybe I need to, you know, take another look at what the highest quality soft shell cases have to offer these yeah. days, or or I guess bags, there's some you could call there's them. some really good ones. But well, my concern is I I'm I agree with you in general, but I think certain guitars that to me seem more fragile, I would feel more comfortable with them in a hard shell case. So for example, you know, uh, a semi hollow. Yeah, I I feel a little bit less comfortable with that in a in a gig bag but look if, yeah. you, if you're telling me that there are gig bags out there that are like the ultra nice padding and stuff like that i'm all on board well i see what you mean in that situation because it there is this element of like pressure like physical pressure not just like a bonk mm. can damage the guitar because mm. it's hollow and all these things acoustic guitars especially yep if you press on them <laughs> no amount of padding is going to save you from sheer force of weight sustained over a period of time so I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. So I think I think it depends, and I, and I also think it depends on your use case. Like, you know, yeah. Obviously, it's super awesome to be able to just like strap it to your back, and you know, usually a, a hard shell case, you're just carrying it like a 
total sh- like shit show on your arm and like one hand is just totally taken up by it. Yeah. Um, and that's not a good time. So and they call it a gig bag. They, 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 that's, that's exactly right. Similarly, hard or soft shell taco. Soft shell. Absolutely soft shell. I, I, hard shell is a mistake. Yeah. Hard shell tacos were dude, a mistake. It breaks. It gets everywhere. You can fit less. Okay. That's not true. You, I guess you can stack it, but it just, it's so fragile. Yeah. A, a, a soft shell taco. If you're at all concerned about it breaking, just double wrap it. Yeah. And you're good to go. Like, yeah. you can, it's just so much more satisfying to eat. You don't have to be like gentle with oh. it. You can just get in there. Not to mention that is the traditional oh, absolutely. method of absolutely. consumption. As far as I know. Yeah. So, <sighs> Dude, I cannot agree with you more on that. I, I really don't understand. My mom used to get it when I was a kid. She would only get the, the hard shell ones. Oh, no. Mom, if you're listening, I love you, but like, no. <laughs> <laughs> that shit just like breaks. You bite it once. Like, it, it's not that – it's not like it breaks occasionally. It's not like a, with a chip. You know, you go to dip the chip, and sometimes the chip breaks in the hummus or the chip breaks in the salsa. Sometimes. Mm. Hard shell tacos break every time. Yeah. You take the first bite. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't survive the first bite, and mm. that to me is like the engineering flaw. Mm. Well, okay, Fundamental. So, <laughs> but just real quick, if, if you had a hard shell taco that somehow was so stiff – and so strong that it could survive, you know, bites. Would yeah. would you be happy with that? I would. I I wouldn't. Still, I still like okay. the texture and and taste of a soft shell, like a like a more like tortilla style thing. Yeah. Are you a fan of tostadas? I, no, that's not the word, but they're called. It, it is. Uh, that, that, that's the, the thing. The, the, the like. Um, I know what you're talking about. It's I'm like d- it's like when you take a tortilla and it's flat, and you make it crispy, and then you push it on top. Yes. Oh, dude, I am so into those right now. They're, they're mega chips. You put, like, if you're making fajitas, or not even fajitas, but if you're making, like, something t- t- of the taco-y nature, and mm. you put it on top, and, it like, you let it sit for a minute, and it kind of, like, soaks in the juices. Oh, Dude, okay, hold on. Now, now I'm a little confused. To me, this sounds a little bit um, hypocritical here. Because how, for me, tostadas, I do not like them. Because... Of the exact same fact. To me, growing up, whenever we had that at my house, I was just the only one that would say, you know what? Like, like I'm going to still warm up my own tortilla, but I'm not going to toast it because yeah. the same thing would happen. I would, I would be like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it today. Bam. Take one bite. Starts crackling up. Now, I will say that tortillas do a better job, in my experience, of hard shell tacos of not just crumbling everywhere. Yeah. But I still don't have the best experience with them. And to me, just like just wrapping it is so much nicer. So I, I'm curious as to why you dislike the hard shell taco, but enjoy the tostada. Because when I'm eating the hard shell taco, I don't want it to break. When I'm using the tostada as like a delivery mechanism, mm. I don't care if it breaks. You see what why? Because I mean? it is like, so I'm often having, in this situation that I w- would be having it, like last night, for example, <laughs> I had, I made vegetable fajitas. I sauteed all the vegetables left over in my, fridge and i put them on the tostada and i just kind of like i don't even remember like it was both using my hands kind of eating it off it's getting everywhere there's bits crumbling onto the plate i'm using i'm using a fork sometimes i'm cutting it up eating gorilla style and then at the end of the tostada it's cracked apart so much that that now litters the plate 
and is mixed in with the remaining vegetables. Mm, and now like I a, have this. It's like a nacho style thing now. Yeah, and I've now got this like crunchy slash soft mm. kind of combination that my final few bites. So why why can't you just take the same approach to a hard shell taco then? Because when I'm eating a hard shell taco, I want to use my hands. I don't want anything to fall out. I want to be like grab and go. Like I'm standing up. We're getting out of a food truck. I'm at, a, I'm at a barbecue. I'm at a party. I want to grab the taco. I want to stand, eat it. Mm. No problem. Get it all over my fingers, lick them clean, and have nothing on my plate at the end of it. Got it. So for a tostada, for you, it's more of like a sit down. You, exactly. You're using a plate. You got exactly. utensils ready. Exactly. I see. That's the that's the key difference. Mm. Is is the is the the context of the deliciousness delivery mechanism. 